Today in Science from Wired. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Why humans are putting a bunch of coal and oil back in the ground. Startups are processing plant waste into concentrated carbon to be buried or injected underground. It's like fossil fuels, but in reverse. By Matt Simon. In a roundabout way, coal is solar-powered. Millions of years ago, swamp plants soaked up the sun's energy, eating carbon dioxide in the process. They died, accumulated, and transformed over geologic time into energy-dense rock. This solar-powered fuel, of course, is far from renewable, unlike solar panels. Burning coal has returned that carbon to the atmosphere, driving rapid climate change. But what if humans could reverse that process, creating their own version of coal from plant waste and burying it underground? That's the idea behind a growing number of carbon projects. Using special heating chambers, engineers can transform agricultural and other waste biomass into solid, concentrated carbon. Like those ancient plants captured CO2 and then turned into coal, this is carbon naturally sequestered from the atmosphere, then locked away for ideally thousands of years. To be abundantly clear, such carbon removal techniques are in no way a substitute for reducing emissions and keeping that extra carbon out of the atmosphere in the first place. But at the annual COP28 conference last month, carbon removal was a hotter topic than ever before. For years, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has insisted that to keep warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures, we're going to need carbon removal in one form or another preferably a bunch of techniques working in concert. If scaled up in the coming years, biomass carbon removal and storage could be one of those techniques. To start, you gather up waste biomass like corn stalks and cook it in a high-heat, low-oxygen environment in a special reactor, a process known as pyrolysis. It's not burning the material with fire per se, but blasting it with heat to remove the water content and turn it into concentrated carbon. Note that this differs from bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, in which you grow crops specifically to burn to produce electricity, capturing the emissions from the power plant. It's basically like heating it in a pizza oven without oxygen, says Andrew Jones, CEO and co-founder of Carba, which is using the process to bury carbon. The optimal place is actually an abandoned coal mine, kind of putting it right back where it came from. We're basically reverse coal mining. The challenge is that microbes love chewing on dead plant material, releasing carbon dioxide as a byproduct as well as methane, and even more potent greenhouse gases. This is an especially acute problem in the Arctic where permafrost is thawing, releasing ancient plant material for microbes to eat. But it's also a problem much closer to major human populations. Agricultural waste, landscaping waste from yards, 
The biomass you'd get from thinning forests to lessen the amount of combustible material and reduce fire risk. Such matter is often left to rot, burping up its carbon or is burned, which releases both carbon and aerosols that are terrible for air quality and human health. Because the reactor removes the carbohydrates that microbes love creating charcoal, the carbon that goes into the ground doesn't become food, so it persists. If you're just burying carbohydrates, you always have this risk that you don't have it in the right conditions, says Paul Dauenhauer, senior advisor and co-founder of CARBA and a chemical engineer at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. And so if 10, 20, or 30% of the material that you bury ends up degrading, that's a loss of a lot of credibility. You don't even need an abandoned coal mine to get rid of the processed biomass. CARBA is burying it in landfills, too, so the technique can be used pretty much anywhere. Every municipality has waste paper waste, tree clippings and grasses, all that kind of stuff, says Dauenhauer. But also you can imagine packaging centers, where they have all the waste cardboard. That's all carbohydrate and cellulose also. When applied to agricultural fields, this sort of carbon is known as biochar, which also improves soil. Biochar can boost crop yields in some cases, says Sanjay Parikh, who created the biochar database, an open access tool at UC Davis for those who make and use biochar. It's sequestering carbon still, even though it's at the surface, Parikh adds. That biochar, some of it will degrade, but we're talking stability of hundreds of thousands of years. The material also helps retain water in sandy soils, for instance, which tend to drain quickly otherwise. Biochar is a highly, highly absorbent material, says Wendy Lou Maxwell Barton, executive director of the International Biochar Initiative. This is why biochar is such an extraordinary soil amendment. It makes it more resilient to both drought conditions as well as flooding. Biochar is also quantifiable, Maxwell Barton says. With a certain amount of biomass, you create a certain amount of carbon to store in soils or underground. Indeed, biochar accounts for 90% of the carbon removal market in which companies pay to offset their greenhouse gas emissions. Alternatively, it's harder to quantify exactly how much carbon you're sequestering by restoring a complex forest ecosystem. Not that humans shouldn't also protect these habitats. Such nature-based solutions sequester carbon, bolster species, reduce flooding, and boost tourism industries. The unfortunate risk, though, is that a wildfire might destroy a protected forest, returning the carbon to the atmosphere. Burying carbon as charcoal theoretically protects it better in the long run. In addition to burying solid carbon or sprinkling it on fields, researchers are also turning waste biomass into liquid carbon, oil essentially that they pump back into the ground instead of pumping the fossil variety up. What we do at the highest level is we make barbecue sauce, or liquid smoke for barbecue sauce, and then we inject it into old oil wells, says Peter Reinhardt, CEO and co-founder of the carbon removal company Charm. They also do this with pyrolysis, which spits out solid char for agriculture but also liquid oil. That's shipped to abandoned wells and pumped underground where it solidifies. There's about 2 to 3 million abandoned end-of-life oil and gas wells across the United States, says Reinhardt. It's quite a problem, actually. A lot of them are methane emitters or improperly sealed, with fluid leaking up to the surface. By pumping its biomass oil underground at these sites, Charm both sequesters carbon and seals up wells that have been leaking greenhouse gases. Whatever the end product, biomass removal cleverly exploits nature's own photosynthesis to sequester and then bury carbon. The genius in this business model in many ways is letting nature do most of the work, says climate ecologist Gernot Wagner at the Columbia Business School. This is a natural process that's been perfected over millions of years, so why not take advantage of it?
In reality, though, things are more complicated, Wagner says. When fossil fuel companies remove coal or oil from the earth, they're tapping into huge deposits that are relatively easy to exploit on the cheap. Hence, the prices of those fuels remain low. But there's only so much biomass waste available above ground, and it's distributed across the planet. Though this is a potential strength of this kind of carbon removal, in that each municipality could process its own biomass waste for storage. The more demand there is for biochar, or for this kind of carbon removal technology, the more startups are out there clamoring for the same food waste, corn husk waste, and so on, says Wagner. Suddenly, the prices increase rather than decrease. The other potential issue, Wagner says, is the moral hazard. If humanity is able to delete carbon from the atmosphere, that's less incentive to slash emissions. There's still so much money to be made in fossil fuels, and indeed oil companies like Occidental Petroleum are investing heavily in carbon removal technologies like direct air capture, in which two machines scrub the air of CO2. That way, they can keep on drilling. There is always this moral hazard aspect, says Wagner. This big, big topic in the background behind any of these carbon removal conversations is, okay, well, we could, or should, frankly, be doing more to reduce emissions in the first place, as opposed to let's suck it back out after the fact. Reinhardt of Charm says the carbon removal industry is catering to companies that are indeed reducing their emissions and are trying to do more. If you look at who's buying removals, it's companies that are already doing a lot on the reduction side and are trying to zero out the remainder, says Reinhardt. Every single startup in the carbon removal space is singing that same tune of, have you done everything you can to reduce? Okay, if you have, that's great. Let's talk about how we get you to net zero. In the end, the science is very clear in the addition of reducing emissions. Humanity has to figure out how to pull more carbon out of the sky. It's not just going to be about relying on forests to capture carbon, or on enhanced rock weathering that reacts with atmospheric CO2, or buried biomass, but ideally some combination of the best of the best techniques, both natural and technological. We can have lots of different strategies and they can be highly engineered, or they can be very simple, says Parikh. We just need to create all of those tools so that for each location and goal, we can use something to make a difference. Thanks for listening to Wired. My name is Zeke Robison, and for more stories like this one, visit us at Wired.com. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.